Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best, healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, welcome back, world. It's the Black Psychologist Podcast, episode 39. We are back once again like we never left. We appreciate everybody being here as we are doing our thing. We appreciate people watching, listening on all the streaming platforms. Um, I'll be one of your Humble and gracious host, as usual, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, you know, I'm never here by myself. The guy I'm with, this guy brings the heat each and every time on the mic. Every time we're we're potting, he saves lives. (laughs) He takes off his blazer, loosens up the tie, step inside the booth. Superman is alive. (laughs) One and only Dr. Jason Coleman. What's going on, good brother? I'm good, man. What's up, bro? How are you? Good, man. Listen, man. I'm watching. Uh, just finished up watching these playoffs, man. Like, listen, this is. I'm talking listen, like man. like Ric Flair intensity video. These playoffs, man. Listen, man. Joe Burrow. I was just telling my nephew. Joe Burrow has that it factor, man. And, yeah. And his chains. His chains are real, man. His, his jewelry is real. <laughs> <laughs> listen, man. He reminds me. That whole team reminds me of uh, the old Cincinnati Bengals, like from a few years ago, like Ocho Cinco and, uh, and TJ Huzmanzada, TJ Who's Your Mama, you know what yeah, I mean? Because they, they got some personality now. Yeah, listen, man, those two receivers, each one of them, like Higgins and Chase, bro. But listen, Burrow, obviously you should know, everybody should have known from LSU, you know, like, what you know, watching him smoke the cigar in the, in the locker room, man, like the, the, the kid, he's not afraid of the big stage. You know what I mean? And like this is what I was telling my my this is what me and my nephew was talking about yesterday. Like the it factor, everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. You know it when you see it. You know what I mean? So we're gonna we're gonna have some good years ahead of us with um, you know, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, you know, Patrick Mahomes, of course, you yeah. know, and, and Burrow. So it's what's up. Yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch. So we'll see what happens with the Super Bowl uh, a couple weeks from now. So, uh, yeah, that's um, listen. You know, be a, a peek behind the scenes for for you know for the viewers and listeners. You know full well that we were supposed to uh, to do this yesterday, and we got caught up in the games. Like, like, nah, it's not gonna, <laughs> like, it's yeah, not gonna happen today. <laughs> I mean, listen, uh, you know, it was intense, bro. Them games was good. Yeah, I mean, listen, plans plans turn into memories sometimes, you know, <laughs> but. It is what it is. Yes, sir. That's how it goes. All right. So, as like I said, we have quite a bit that we want to get to. Uh, very important topics uh, that we want to address today. Uh, so, absolutely, uh, we appreciate again everybody tuning in and watching and showing support and subscribing and uh, providing some comments and and uh, some ideas for topics. We definitely hear you. We definitely are listening. Uh, so, absolutely, keep it coming. And uh, without further ado, Jay, anything we need to, to get to before we, we jump into everything? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, listen, just, you know, the numbers have been growing in terms of the views. So we appreciate everybody that, you know, takes the time um, to listen, subscribe. Um, definitely humble. Appreciate that it's growing. Um, and we're going to keep with the content. So 
just please continue to share, like the videos, and you know, thank you. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so let's get into things. So unfortunately, last week uh, we received the unfortunate news that actress and director Regina King's son, Ian Alexander Jr., uh, passed away by suicide. Um, for those people that are familiar with uh, Regina King, um, she usually um, she and her son, Ian, are usually um, spotted like on the red carpet. Like he usually accompanies uh, his mother for like all the red carpets on the various award ceremonies. Um, and on a personal note for him, Ian followed in his father's uh, musical footsteps. Uh, he became a musician and he became a DJ. Um, and he, he always spoke highly, um, of, of Regina, you know, always saying, and, and that, that's, um, his inspiration, that's, that's his strength and other different things of that nature. And it was like really, really unfortunate, um, uh, when that news came through, um, and he had just turned 26 the Wednesday before his passing. So, um, very young. Very, very young um, and unfortunate news. I'm gonna read the um, the the quote or the the, the message that the family left. Um, they said our family is devastated at the um, at the deepest level by the loss of Ian. He is such a bright light who cared so deeply about the happiness of others. Our family asked for respect, respectful consideration during this private time. Thank you. Um, yeah, this was tough. I saw you know the news. You started coming across my feed um, a lot all last week. Uh, Jay, what were, you know, your thoughts um, when when this came across uh, your desk? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, very surprised. Obviously, you're surprised anytime this, something like this happens because, you know, it's pretty extreme. Um, first thought, obviously, is, you know, you're saddened, you know, for the family. You know, of course. You know, he's a young adult, you know, really, I don't want to respectfully, I'll, I'll just call him a young man, but um, a lot younger than me. So to me, you know, respectfully, I, when I say kids, I just mean in terms of, you know, um, barely emerging adults, right, in that in that age group. Um, so it's a tragedy from that standpoint. Um, but then when you start, you know, looking at the situation, um, it's, it's on a on a bunch of levels. It, it makes you think, right, about suicide and mental health in general. Um, because here again, we have another situation where, from the outside, um, you have a person that appears to have a life that is, desi- is desirable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like with all individuals, you know, you just you just don't know what you see on the outside is what you see on the outside, right? Um, again, we were just talking, all, you know, we've been kind of talking over the last few days, you know, that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg because we had a rough week, right? Um, with Miss USA, you know, I think it was Shalice Chris. Yeah. Um, that everybody's mm-hmm. kind of talking about now, um, mm-hmm. who was the, ex- the extra host. Um, and then you were talking to me about the mayor of, I believe it was Hyattsville, right, Maryland? Yeah, Kevin Ward. Uh, he's the mayor of, of Hyattsville, Maryland, which is an urban area outside of Washington, D.C. He was found um, dead at the age of 44 from an apparent uh, self-inflicted gunshot. And um, he leaves behind, you know, a husband and two sons. 
So, so yeah. Again, I mean, <clears throat> the reason why I kind of bring up all these people is they were all fairly, they're all very well known, you know, in their respective circles, right? Um, these are all people that we would consider, you know, for lack of a better term, we would consider them winning, right? Mm-hmm. From the outside, right? Um, and I think that's especially one of the reasons why, you know, the young the young woman, um, Miss USA, is in the news because the, the reaction you hear over and over from people is, I can't believe it, right? And then they go on and talk about people's accomplishments, you know, rightfully so. Um, but the lesson that we have to kind of draw from this is that, you know, it's the old saying, right? Like, don't judge a book by its cover, right? You don't really, you don't know what's going on beneath the surface. Um, and we've seen example after example of this over the summer with different types of mental health challenges, right? But it's mostly been like depression and anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't really got to this, to see this extreme, you know, of, you know, a symptom of depression, which would be, you know, suicidal ideation or somebody, you know, actually going through with it. So, um, again, obviously I was shocked like everybody else. Um, but then when you start looking at it, statistics, you know, leading cause of death, African-American males, 15 to 24, second leading cause of death, 2019, suicide. Um, Been talking about it for a while in terms of the numbers creeping up, you know, for especially adolescents and emerging adults uh, in our community. So, Um, but what did you think? Um, Yeah, I I had a similar reaction because like you said, from the outside looking in, it looks like these folks are doing well, right? So as we're talking about um, these specific examples you have a mayor right of a whole city or or, or a county or, or area um you have the son of a world-renowned you know actress and director right most people know who regina king's work is because of the, you know the amazing um performances that she's had um and then you also have you know the, one of the former you know usa contestant who's going on to go into media um and I think, you know, the question, you know, especially as this was taking place and, you know, we we get this question a lot, you know, just from either whether it be friends, whether it be, you know, outside people, colleagues or, or whoever. Um, but mostly usually from like the general public and family members that, you know, especially come to us when these type of situations take place, especially in, you know, the public forum or with celebrities is that is the why. Right. Is why. What is contributing to this? And it's not an easy answer because there are so many different things that are taking place, right? There are so many things to consider and it really is an individual based situation as far as like what that person is experiencing, but there's, there's some overlap, right? There's usually some type of general, um, you know, things that are taking place um, that are contributing to that. And that's, that's the thing that went through my head, right? When these, when these different individuals passing started to come to light, um, you know, I think you have these individuals, unfortunately, like at its core that are trying to get through pain that they don't know really understand. Right. You know, you have individuals that are either maybe they're trying to heal from pain that they either can't stop from feeling or they can't identify where the pain is stemming from. Um, And, you know, and I know that for any individual that is in pain or that's suffering, whether it be from depression, whether it be from anxiety or overwhelming stress, you know, it can be really difficult to articulate what they are experiencing. Right. So I think that's, you know, 
a piece of it at kind of like at its core, which contributes to individuals that are, you know, at this point. And I think that's, you know, one piece of it that contributes. But that was some of the things that kind of, you know, questions that I got from people. And then also kind of like where my thought process was as I, you know, these one after another, you know, this this, this news came out. I, I mean, listen, when somebody commits suicide or God forbid, you know, so they go through with it and, you know, the person is no longer with, with you, um, People are gonna. People always gonna look for like a reason, right? Um, and I mean, not only in this country, I guess it's probably the same way around the world. But it's like you know, for a lot of like we're very reactionary people, right? So we're very good at reacting, right? So somebody shoots up a school. The the Senate is very good at throwing money at programs, and people are very uh, do a very good job. <clears throat> you know, showing up to meetings afterwards. And I'm not being dismissive, but what I mean is not as much effort is put into the root of the problem all the time, right? So the troubled children are usually suspended, right? And they're dealt with in a punitive way. Mm-hmm. When, when Before they become bullies, we don't, we don't want to give them mental health treatment, right? We want to deal with them punitively. And then, you know, when we get extreme reactions, you know, we kind of, want to look at what happened. But to keep it on this situation, the reason why I bring up that analogy is you got to understand like depression is a very, very extreme symptom of, I mean, suicidality is a very, very extreme symptom of depression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I say that to mean like, we got to make space for and be more understanding of people every day. Like when we think they have small problems, right? Because somebody's depression is going to be them sleeping more. Somebody else's depression is going to be them eating more. Somebody else's depression is going to be them being irritable. It's not going to necessarily be a situation where you're going to immediately say, let me go wrap around, wrap my arms around that person. Right. Um, so sometimes again, um, it's about being more understanding, you know, and creating that space initially before we get to this extreme of a point you know, where somebody feels like they can reach out for help and say something without being looked at as weak or as they can't do their job or people won't vote for me or whatever the case may be, yeah. right? Um, and I'm not saying that in blaming. I'm saying I include myself in that same number I'm talking about, right? Because the person we walk past, that we ask, how's your day? And we don't stay at, sit around it to, to listen to the answer, right? Um or we say, how you doing to keep going? Like, we, we got to just be a little bit more understanding, you know, in, in, in some of our interactions. Man. No, I, I think and that's the big piece of it. Right. I think there's that lack of the mental health literacy component. Right. About what it can look like. Right? Like you said, there are some, some of those symptoms, whether it be like, say, if we're talking about depression, the person sleeping more or, you know, atypical behavior from someone, right? So like you said, we live in a society, especially as it pertains to children or adolescents, when that abnormal or atypical behavior starts to take place, this is due to depression, right? Like you said, consequences, penalties, right? We want to penalize that person. It's punitive as opposed to asking the why part, 
right? And that's where I think the lack of the mental health literacy, okay, of, all right, why is this person kind of looking like this person could be in pain? We don't know what that person is, is experiencing at home or within themselves, right? We don't know what that pain means. We just know that it looks different, but it looks, it's definitely usually different behavior than what that person is typically, you know, used to displaying. And, you know, like you said, the understanding also comes with having a conversation. And I feel like that's another aspect of, you know, we're, I would like to say that the conversations are taking place more frequently. And I think that they are, but I don't think they're happening more frequent enough. Right. Because one having these conversations is difficult, right? They're also uncomfortable. They're very uncomfortable. And I don't think people really want to acknowledge that, right? If someone, you know, were to react or come to you, right? When you have a family or friend that comes to you and say, hey, you know, I've been feeling like, you know, I've been feeling really down. I've been feeling depressed or I'm having suicidal thoughts. What do you say to that, right? A lot of people don't. They don't know how to react. They don't know what to say in the response to that, right? You might even have some family members or friends that might become defensive, right? Maybe they're the, if they're the parent or if they're the partner or the spouse, because it may that might reflect on maybe how they feel or maybe that they feel, you know what I mean? Like we, we've heard that from some of our clients and right. that when they've reached out or when they said, hey, I, I told my mom or dad that I was having suicidal thoughts or I told my partner. And sometimes, like you said, the reaction is, well, what are you depressed for? Or what are you suicidal? We don't do that, right? especially in our community, we don't do that stuff, right? We've gotten, people have gotten that reaction. And so I feel like, unfortunately, when sometimes you get some of those reactions, I'm not blaming family members because it's not an easy, you know, comment or statement to get from anyone, right? Some people don't know what to say because they just don't know what to say and they don't want to say the wrong thing. So they become fearful. So it's a lot of other different you know, scenarios, but it's an uncomfortable conversation. It's a, it's a very difficult conversation to have. And if people aren't comfortable having that conversation, people will tiptoe around it or they'll avoid it. And then we know what happens when you avoid these type of conversations or then it manifests into something more severe, right? And then it's more pain and suffering for the person that's experiencing these type of thoughts or that's experiencing the depression. So, you know, I think that the, the literacy aspect is is a big key ingredient because that that kind of spirals and kind of points out to a lot of different areas. I mean, I agree with you. Um, this is my humble opinion, but I kind of draw like a parallel to um, a lot of people have the same dilemma when somebody they know is experiencing going through like extreme grief or bereavement, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but a lot of that is on us, right? Like you want to say something. The reason why you don't have nothing, most people don't have nothing to say is because they want to say in their mind, they want to come up with the person, perfect thing to say to make this person what? Feel better, right? right? Which is impossible, right? And if somebody's already suicidal or depressed, you're not going to be able to say anything to, to snap away the depression, right? Um, it's the same way like if somebody tells you something that some people don't have emotional space for, they don't know how to respond, they want to fill the silence with something, right? Mm -hmm. So they usually end up saying the wrong thing, right? And humbly, my advice usually to people is you would say to them the same thing you would say to somebody, you know, you care about, right? Sometimes, first of all, sometimes saying nothing is better. Sometimes it's just your presence, right? And sometimes, whether it's, 
depression, whether or whether it's suicidality or whether your kid got a bad grade, sometimes it's just saying I'm I'm here for you and I care about you. Right. And then with some times and with some people in our lives, we know your approach is everything, right? So for some people it's about control. Some people they would they they some people it's about saying, listen, I care about you, I'm scared. So can I can I either help you or get somebody to help because I'm scared. You know, it's there's a lot of different ways you can approach people. We don't we don't expect people to be obviously uh, mental health experts, you know. Um, but what I'm trying to get across is that most of the time, simple is better, right? Because if a person is going through a crisis and they've reached out to you, you already got what it takes, you know, to to bring them the comfort. That's why they reached out to you, right? right. So. A lot of times, your presence is enough, you know. Um, and if you know a person, of course, we're talking pre-COVID, but when people used to give me advice about what do they say to somebody who's going through grief, if you know, if you have that type of relationship with them, give them a hug and tell them you're here for them. Basic, right? And that, and that, I think, like you said, some people are overthinking the situation, right? Like they, like you said, they want to say the right thing, they want to get it right, they want to be. And sometimes, like you just mentioned, it's just the simplest thing, either not saying anything, you know, or just being there or even just saying, hey, how can I support you in this moment? What do you need from me? Right. How can I help? Right. It's just something just that simple. And that's where the literacy aspect comes from, because if if we're able to get that out to just say any loved one and say, hey, if someone comes to you and like you said, if they're coming to you, they're coming and opening up to you for a reason, because this isn't. This isn't easy, especially in our community, in, in the black community. This is not, you know, it's not easy for anyone, but especially because of, you know, just the intergenerational stigma and, and just, you know, this reaction. It's hard enough for someone to come out. Right. But if they're coming out to you, like you just mentioned, Jay, like there's a reason why they're coming out to you. Right. They're not coming out to everybody. So. You know, that's the part that's the that that literacy component that, you know, that I was mentioning is that if we're just able to, you know, if people are able to understand just that simple friend, like you said, how can I support you or what do you need from me? Or like you said, hey, thank you for sharing that. I love you. We're going to get through. I'm scared, too. Right. Simple. Right. As opposed, like you said, people naturally go into that overthinking. I want to say the right thing. But. You know, it's difficult. I mean, it's a different it's a difficult situation overall. But I mean, just those simple phrases, just allowing that person to say they, they have a space. You know, absolutely could do a lot of good. And it's so important, yeah. you know, but here's the thing, Jay. So I have to ask you this. Right. Being, you know, that we've seen, you know, with Ian Alexander Jr. And we talked about the mayor. Um, it's it's been really difficult and and especially like I just mentioned in, in our community, you know, the suicide death rate for men is four times higher than it is for women. So why do you think um so many black men are are hide their mental illness? Like what do you think is contributing to that? Because listen, that's man, important, right? Because first of all, well, all this happened, a lot of articles were coming out, and a couple of those, like you said, we talked about came across our way. And that's that's a lot of that's a big question that I've gotten not only through articles, but just people just asked me. First of all, I just want to point out that's an extra that's an excellent lead in to the next article. That's great. You did a great job on that. I'm um, trying, brother. Listen, I'm trying. Um, but on a serious note, um 
there's a lot of layers to that, right? When we talk about, you know, um, black males and, and, and mental illness, um, I think two, I think there are two heavy factors though. I think um, we have like our, we have certain practices and beliefs in culture that, that kind of um, in group in culture that kind of contribute to it. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, there's certain gender-based beliefs that kind of contribute to it, right? Um, and I, what I mean by that is like, you know, uh, in terms of our identity, you know, as black males, like um, concealing our emotions, whether we express our emotions or not, you know, is kind of directly tied to our masculinity or or femininity, right? <laughs> um, depending on, on how you want to put it, um, our definition of manhood. Um, when we talk about culture, um, acknowledging, you know, that you're having internal problems is, is taboo, right? Um, acknowledging that things are out of your control is taboo, right? And this isn't, listen, um, I, I, you know, I say this a lot, like, you know, with certain things, like there's an inverse relationship between like being emotionally expressive, being cerebral and about your feelings, you know, and your identification as a man in our culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's funny that you say that because I was looking and preparing for this. Um, there was a meme going around and they, what they were saying was, and I got it right here. What they were saying was, not, they were saying Tyrese had a mental breakdown online in regards to not seeing his daughter in two years. People laughed at him and made him a meme. Kanye West had a mental breakdown on TV. People called him crazy. He became a meme. The world watched Will Smith listen to his wife tell him live she had an affair. People laughed at him. He became a meme. And people wonder why black men don't open up about their mental health. Right. I mean, black men, you know, especially with those examples that that you mentioned um, and highlighted, is that black men specifically haven't been actually been given the opportunity to be vulnerable, right? Or to be heard or to be understood. Like you talked about that situation, especially with Will Smith or with Tyrese, um, you know, we're talking about like family, right? Situation, family dynamics are being affected by what's happening in their lives. And it's not acceptable in the mainstream, right? You're being ridiculed. You're being mocked. You become a meme. So now all of a sudden in this vulnerable space, now you're, you're being ridiculed. So, how is that going to reinforce, you know, the next person to open up, right? To be vulnerable with emotions that they're obviously experiencing real time and in that moment. And I mean, then, you know, that that's 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 crazy. I'm happy you brought those up. Listen, man, I, I want to ask you something because I want to know how you feel about this. I mean, this has been my experience definitely since I've been in the field and just throughout my life, right? It may be true across cultures, but especially within our culture, right? You can you can look. This doesn't start when we're kids. I mean, when we're um, adolescents, this starts when we're babies. Yeah. It starts when we're infants, right? Um, and I'm just talking culture because all I know is you know black people because I'm a black man, right? I mean, but I see this in the waiting room with people of people of other races too. You can have two kids. They could be the same age. They could be two years old. Okay, the boy and the girl can both fall. Okay, 
And what do you think daddy is going to do? He's going to get up and go run. And, and they both start crying. He's going to get up and go scoop up the girl. And what do you think he's going to say to her? You know, he's going to tell her, you know, they're there. It's all right. It's going to be compassion. He's going to be like, it's all right, baby. It's all right. And he's going to hold her. And then if, if I go try to help up his son, in most cases, they're going to be like, let him get up. He's a man. Let him be a man. That's right. Right. So but he's two. Right. So it starts there respectfully you know what i mean um because that situation plays itself out in different ways in our families in our churches you know in our recreational club it, it plays out everywhere like that well not i don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush but what i'm saying is this is how you get boys who grow into men who have challenges with emotional expression right no, absolutely. I mean, that that's it's one of those unfortunate gender role expectations. But I, I feel like in certain cultures, especially as like in we can we can really talk about ours. because That's what I've experienced firsthand. You know, we're learned to perform as men. Right. We're and with that learning that we've been, you know, that's been passed down to us. It's like the norm is to, to suppress your emotions. Right. right. Get up, you know. Don't cry. All these different things. Right. It's like there's not unfortunately. And it is. It's it, there's a, it's a catch 22 to the situation in that, you know, unfortunately, society doesn't treat men with the same compassion that they treat women with. Right. They treat it in very different real life situations. Like you just brought up the situation with um, with with uh, Will and Jada. Right. He's at the table. His, his wife is telling him like of her indiscretions or her infidelity or whatever the situation is. So he's got to sit there and take that. Right. And I will be, oh, man, he was he was crying. He was this and, that and the third. But if that would have been the other way around, all the compassion in the world. Right. All the compassion in the world would have been thrown Jada. They would have been dogging Will out, all other different things, right? Sure. So there's a different type of compassion that gets through. And even like, and that 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 makes me think of you know, not even just at the at the younger age, but what about as we get older, right? Like how many people are checking up usually, and again, I'm just generalizing, but like during a breakup, right? Whether the person's a teenager, whether they're a young adult, how many people are, are checking up on the guy when they break up, right? This is a long situation, there's a relationship, right? And they break up. So two people, when a relationship breaks up, two people are hurt. Right. But you see a lot of people kind of tend to the girl or to the female in the situation, lift her up X, Y and Z. Or they, you know, that same energy or usually isn't towards the guy. Same well, the ex the expectation is different. Right. The expectation is for the, the male to um, for us to not see his emotion. Right. For him to be stoic. Right. Because if he expresses his emotion, we're going to call him weak. Right. Example, Tyrese. Right. If Tyrese was of a different gender and he was, you know, on social media complaining about not seeing his child. The last thing anybody would call him was weak. Right? Right. The last thing anybody would call any mother that's on, you know, line that is complaining about being separated from their child is weak. Right? So gender definitely plays a role because, again, we can't socialize boys as adolescents, right, to express Two emotions, aggression, right? Anger, another form of that, and happiness when they're in the presence of their mother, mm -hmm. right? Or, or their grandmother or their friends, some of their friends. But they're not allowed to express any embarrassment. 
They can't show any fear. It's just not accepted for adolescent boys, right? Um, and, and those adolescent boys grow up to be men, okay, who are going are going to internalize their feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to respond to certain situations in, in a certain way, right? And you can't necessarily undo all of that when somebody is 30 years old. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be internalizing their emotions and their thoughts just in a variety of life situations, right? Whether they're going to be doing that in the workforce, they're going to be doing that in relationships, they're going to be doing that in, you know what I mean, when they're trying to bring up a business, right? All these other different avenues of parenting, right? All these other different avenues, because they've been taught to suppress their emotions to, you know, like you mentioned, like like you said, in Tyree's situation or even similar things, like there's a penalty for, for men being open and honest, right? And that's what he was. He was being open and honest about what he's been experiencing. And, you know, he's penalized for that. And, you know, I've had clients say, you know, they've personally seen like other people or other men try to open up and about their situations and they've seen people get ridiculed. They've seen people get, you know, shut down for that. And they said, Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to speak up. I mean, which is a valid, you know, concern that they have if they've seen others try to, to trying to reach out and it's not well received. So, you know, it's like, why should they, you know, you get, you get judged about it, you know, and, it, and it's tough. Cause it also starts, like you mentioned it being young. Cause I'm, I mean, more thoughts are coming to my head. So I'm kind of all over the place, but you mentioned also situations where boys are the men of the house, right? If you're coming from a single mother household, right? What's one thing that the mom is charging that son with? You're the man of the house, Right. You're being parentified to a certain extent at an early age where it's like, no, you got to suck it up. Like you said, don't get up. Don't cry. You got to you got to help. You know, what I mean, watch out for your younger siblings. Right. You got to watch out this. You're the man of the house. So I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And that's not for every situation, but that's a lot of pressure. Right. That's a lot you're putting on. However, the young, you know, the young man might be. However, whether he's nine, whether he's 16, 14, whatever the situation may be. But you're charging these individuals with a lot. And at the same time, you're not giving them a space that when things get hard in school, when it gets hard in their job, when it gets hard with a situation where these kids play sports. Right. What happens when that kid gets injured? Right. What happens when whatever career or whatever he was, you know, whatever the goals were, don't work out. Now he's in a place. How is he supposed to regulate that emotion? How is he supposed to regulate that frustration if he's been in an environment where he's been taught to suppress that the whole time? And this is where the different situations start to manifest. Right. Because now he's going to take all these feelings and these thoughts that he's struggling with and it's going to start to implode. Right. And then after the implosion comes the explosion. So this is where, you know, this pattern comes through. And I think this is what kind of contributes. But we're not given, you know, society, we're not giving them that space for them to be vulnerable. Right. We're not giving them an opportunity for them to be able to talk about what's going on, what they're experiencing. Without, unfortunately, like you said, especially with social media, and that tends to be a channel that a lot of people reach out for. Right. For well, some, you know, they reach out in, on Facebook to reach out on the gram about what they're going through and then all these negative comments and backlash come through. Well, I, I mean, I actually feel like social media is kind of helping in a little bit, helping 
a little bit. And the reason why I say that is because um, obviously it's probably the most common way to, to, to reach people now, the easiest way to reach people and expand your reach. And um, I just think there's a lot of men in particular, black men in particular that are in positions of power that are kind of using social media um, to make themselves more vulnerable in a way, right? Um, reducing stigma. What I, what I, I guess what I mean by that is just like over the last couple of years, first of all, you know, like, like social media, the nature of it is, is very invasive, right? So it creates a certain vulnerability in everybody because nobody in social media is popular unless people can see in your house, they can see what you're eating. They wanna see you driving. Then people wanna know about every aspect of your life. Right? Right. And part of that, what comes with that usually is telling real stories, you know? Um, and if we just look at over the past year, remember, we, I think we were talking about Lil Wayne and Kevin Gates and, right. um, you know, Brandon Marshall, you know, uh, Keith Stanfield, um, you know, even LeBron James using his platform. Everybody is using social media either to talk about something personally, you know, in, in terms of whether it's therapeutic for them or whether they're just using their own story um, you know, to kind of normalize the situation. Um, I think all of that is helpful, right? Um, I, and and I, I think that that part is a good thing, you know, uh, because we do, you know, have a lot of, you know, well, I, I don't want to say a lot, but we do have some people, you know, who are kind of trying to use the platforms, um, you know, to bridge that gap a little bit. Um, but, you know, again, we, I talk to people, like I say this to people when I, we got to have patience, right? Because um, it takes, I don't want to say at least the same amount of time, but it takes you a pretty uh, a pretty long amount of time to undo damage that has been done for years and years and years, right? Um, so it's going to take a while, but I do think, you know, there's some people who are trying to use the platforms, you know, to, to kind of, you know, uh, do some do some good with that. And that's that's what I'm happy to see is like you said, when when the Lil Wayne's and the LeBron James and these other notable figures are coming out and say, hey, this is what I struggled with. That's where I want. Like, I'm hoping more conversations are going to start to take place. Like, I feel like it's getting better, but just the normalization of those conversations. So when someone does reach out, whether it be over social media or, you know, when they're reaching out within their own household, that's where I'm hoping that, okay. The family member or the friend that remembers Lil Wayne talked about mental health, that remembers LeBron talked about mental health, that remembers Chance the Rabbit talked about mental health, will be more open when that 12-year-old or their 13-year-old son comes to them and says, hey, I've been having thoughts about end of my life, or I've been having like these real dark thoughts, right? So, they are, so they're more receptive to it because that's where it comes in, man. When people are struggling and people are having that help, you know, they keep it to themselves, right? Because that was that was the question of why are people and why are they hiding it? And people are going to hide it if they don't feel like it's going to be receptive. If they don't feel like they're going to get help, then they're going to keep it to themselves. They feel like they're going to be ridiculed. They're going to keep it to themselves, right? Because all that does is compound on top of the pain. So if someone's already hurting and then I come to you and I, I'm getting a bad reception, 
then one, I'm going to keep it to myself. And now the guilt, all these other different things start to come, start to pile on. So I'm hoping with these folks coming out and talking about the mental health, I'm hoping that these conversations become more normalized um, and people, you know, will be more open to the help. Don't know what to say. Like you said, like we just talked about earlier in this conversation of just being there for the person, you know, sure. I think that's the most important thing. That's something that you and I can heavily emphasize and encourage for anybody listening or for anybody, you know, that goes off and, you know, spreads the word or this message is that, you know, you just, just being there is the most important part, right? Like when you have these hotlines, when people call these, these hotlines, when they're in distress, the main thing is that they have somebody there listening to them. That's the biggest part, right? The training of what to say and some of the other different de-escalation techniques and distressing. Yeah. Training comes into play with that, of course. Right. However, the, the first part of it is whether someone's calling a hotline or whether they're reaching out to someone like you or me, they're reaching out to the parent, they're reaching out to a friend, is that the person is there to listen, right? And just well, listen, be there. The bottom line is, at least from my standpoint, is like, um, again, that was the title of the article, right? Like, why do black men hide mental illness? I mean, stigma, of course, we know the easy answer, right? But it's part of the reason why we get on here and we talk about mental health every week, right? Um, because when you normalize something, it's easier for somebody to reach out and come out of the dark, right? Come into the light for back for lack of a better term and get some assistance, right? Um, when you think you're the only person and you, and you think that you're crazy, you know, then you're gonna deal with a situation in your house, right? So you don't need mental health training. You don't need to know the right thing to say to normalize something for somebody, right? And that's why I gave the advice that I gave, not that the phrases are the are the buzz phrases that are that, that's gonna make suicidality or depressive symptoms go away, but all they're telling somebody is that, you know, what you're going through is, is okay, like it's normal, and I, I'm here for it to help. Mm -hmm. um, and again, normalizing things, that is the most important part, right? Because you can't help somebody um, Who's home? Yeah, you know, and um, the last part I'll end off is, you know, myself um, and others, I definitely want to encourage them to, like you mentioned, right? You mentioned something really, a, a really important nugget is that we've gotten used to, like, when we ask people, you know, how are they doing? They say, okay, right? They say, fine, right? That's, it's like a stock answer that everybody's used to giving, but really getting in the habit, especially with the men in your family of like, really, you know, dig a little deeper, right? Like, hey, how are you really doing? You know, I know you got this going on. I know you started your business. I know you got into a car accident. I know, you know, start to think about what are some other different things about the men in your family, right? Whether they be your brother, whether they be your father, whether they be your, you know, your friend, your cousin, you know, start to think about, you know, other different things that they have going on in their life. When you ask them how they're doing, you know, dig a little deeper. Ask like, hey, how are you really doing? Like, I know this is stressful, you know. So I think that that gets us in the process or puts us in a direction of kind of like the same compassion that we'll, we would treat, you know, our, our women and deservedly so because our women absolutely experience a lot. You know, the same compassion that we, we treat with them, we got to start treating with our men, right? So that goes for everybody. So that's definitely something I want us to encourage. So we got to start leveling out that playing field, man, because like you said, the, we're not given the same space, you know, for, for the guys that we are, that we, that we give for the women. So, you know, definitely just, you know, everybody just kind of getting the practice of doing that. I mean, 
I can't add anything to that. You just people just gotta remember that you know boys grow up to be men, right? So how you treat them as boys or how you you know socialize them as boys that how they that's how they're gonna behave and respond as men. Absolutely. All right. Jay, let me ask you a question. You uh you you play video games? You a video game guy? Yeah, when I got time. All right. So are you are you familiar with uh Grand Theft Auto? I am. All right. So Grand Theft Auto is intense, man. I'm not gonna sit here and say that I, I don't I don't play or I haven't played it because it's a pretty entertaining game, right? So most people that have played Grand Theft Auto know what it's like working for a Mexican cartel. But it's done in a fictional sense, right? It's done in a fictional fashion. You know, you, you play the game, you're, you're, you know, you're doing all these different, you know, jobs for the cartel, what's in the game, you know, and, and that's it, right? You turn the game off, everything's cool. Well, recently, you know, in equally and also disturbing news, um, it's been reported that the real life drug cartels and drug mafias have been playing in chat rooms, right? And in other online games outside of GTA also, but mainly GTA was the one that was been highlighted, um, are recruiting players in chat rooms to smuggle drugs and engage in human trafficking. All right. So one of the Border Patrol spokesmen says that anybody that's 16 and over that already has a driver's license is a target to get recruited for doing smuggling. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to share the story. Right. That that came out. All right. So. And last November, uh, last year, a um, a Jeep Cherokee was found with nearly 60 kilograms of methamphetamines. Okay. So when they asked the driver, her name was Alyssa Navarro, what her story was, she said that in January of earlier that year, or earlier last year, she had been playing Grand Theft Auto online when she met a man who called himself George. Okay. She said after getting to know each other within the game, he said they eventually started talking on Snapchat and let, later met in person in Phoenix. She said that George asked her over Snapchat whether she had liked to work as a runner shipping electronics so they can be sold in Mexico. And he told her that she could be paid as much as two thousand dollars a trip, depending on how big the load was. All right. He said uh, he promised her loads of money and he offered her the truck to use. And they only had to stop off at at certain gas station points. All right. So um, they said, yeah, this is this has been an ongoing thing. There have been a lot more cases of this popping up um, that these drug cartels are recruiting people through GTA and other video games. What's uh, what's your take on this, Jeff? I mean, listen, anytime you start talking about, you know, human trafficking, um, using kids, you know, manipulating children for drug as drug mules and things like that. Um, obviously, it's very concerning because there's, you know, many ways that they could be harmed, you know, whether we're talking about physically or psychologically, you know, um, and used in that way. But for the victims, like, and this is going to sound, you know, but this comes down to usually like parental supervision, right? And again, it may sound controversial. I'm not trying to blame everyone, but a lot of parents are, are simply unaware, you know, um, who their, their children are communicating with online. But more specifically, 
it's not even about that. A lot of parents are unaware of like all of the features of these video game systems, right? So you'll have parents that'll tell you that their child has no access to the internet, right? But he talks to his friends all, all day while he's playing his video game, right? Um, so that's why I said it usually it comes down to a parental supervision issue. Um, and again, you know, why is it concerning? Because it may, you know, sound like, you know, like the old guy gets off my lawn, you know, like, you know, it's just a video game. But again, when we talk about like psychological abuse, sexual abuse, which, you know, human trafficking, those things, um, it's the anonymity, right? Of being able to reach out and contact victims, right? And know that there's a good chance that they might be in this age range or under or minors or underage. Right. Um, mm -hmm. It's the new whatever those chat rooms were back in the day. You know what I mean? Um, and because you had that type of um, you can hide your identity and I could be in another state. I could be in another country. I could just be in, a, in the next room. Um, unfortunately, you know, kids and adolescents are vulnerable. And then when we start talking about uh, the children that we deal with sometimes that have backgrounds, you know, when they're, when they're not as supportive and they have trauma um, and all these issues, they're even more vulnerable, right? Why? Because you can entice them with things, some of them, right? Um, you can entice them with false relationships. You can entice them with false promises of love, right? And making their dreams come true and all these other things um, because, you know, they, they all have that... Um, well, let me not say they are, but they, they, they're vulnerable, right? right. Um, and some kids who have none of those factors going on, right? Yeah. Um, but again, parental supervision, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, one of the things that I, I thought of, um, and I saw this article uh, when it came across, one, someone recommended it to us um, through, through our, our IG page, and I saw it. Um, and, you know, some people were saying, oh, well, you know, it, it's the video game itself, right? It, it's, you know, that that poisons the brain because that's been the age old question, right? In the debate of sure. the violent video games that have the impact and it contributes to the kids doing this type of aggressive behavior. And recently, there, um, you know, while reading this article, we found a study uh, that was done by uh, molecular psychiatry. And, you know, they just concluded a long longitude 10 year study that um, that displayed and showcased that, you know, GTA and other violent video games don't, you know, impact or don't lead to aggression shown in, in adolescents or, you know, young adults. And, and um, I think the age group was like 18 to 25 or, or so. Um, so you can't blame that. Right. So, you know, when I first saw that, I'm like, all right, well, you know, I would like to say it's like it's a new low for cartels. But then that when you, you know, when you're talking about cartels and drug mafias, I don't know. If there really, <laughs> there's not really such a thing as, as a low. You know what I mean? I mean, you look at it, unfortunately, when you're talking about operations such as these, you know, I imagine they're always looking for new ways to make money. Right. They're always looking for a way to move product or and they're going to exploit anyone. Right. Especially you know, like you mentioned, younger people. And in this situation, these young people are expendable, right? Right. In this situation, they're sending this young lady across back and forth across the border in a Jeep. Right. And they're like, hey, we'll give you a couple thousand, you know, but she's the one getting arrested. You know, she's telling the story of 
whoever she met and these probably fake names and so on and so forth. So that's this it's the exploitation, right? So I would like to say that I was really like shocked um about this, but I'm not, unfortunately. Um I'm along the similar lines where, like you said, you, you have a vulnerable population in the sense of like one, you're enticing these young kids, right? And you're gonna say, Hey, I got some easy money for you to make. And that's probably in how it sounds like or in her story, that's how they're promoting it, right? That's how they're kicking it to them and say, Hey, you can make a couple, couple grand, we'll give you the car, you just need your license, and you know, it's electronics, right? So they judge it up in that way. And then it's a situation where you know they're vulnerable because. You know, I, th- I think it's similar to, you know, um, kids that get recruited in the different gangs, right? A lot of times you have, you know, kids that looking for a sense of belonging, right? Looking for a sense of purpose. And, you know, you got these kids that are just like, hey, you know what? You do this, you know, you're rolling with us or you're doing it. You're giving them purpose. You're giving them all these other different things where there might be a void, Um you know, in their life due to whatever situations, like you said, you do have kids from different multiple backgrounds, but, you know, you combine a situation with easy money, you're giving kids like some type of belonging or something they could be a part of. And this is what, you know, possible situations that can happen. And you're totally right. I mean, not putting it solely on the parents, um, but you definitely should be more in tune, at least more aware of, you know, the devices that your kids are playing right now. You know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that my mom knew everything about Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis and, and the first couple PlayStations that came out. But, you know, I think she she kind of knew, you know, she had an idea about. Listen, man. You know, it, but you got to be it up may, on it. It may sound harsh, but it's just like, listen, if your kid is out in the middle of the night in the street, he might have went out the window. Right. So I'm not saying it's your fault, but it's apparent it's a supervision issue. Right. If your kid is using a tablet to go on adult websites or access pornography or talk to drug mules, you're paying the bill, the Wi-Fi bill. It's a supervision issue. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not. I mean, I get it because parents will take it personal. Right. Because the first inkling, the first thing you're going to do is all it reflects on me. No, again, I didn't say fault, but. It's a supervision issue. If a child gets hurt at school, right? You don't necessarily blame the teacher if another kid hit him, right? But you are going to say who was watching him, what happened, right? You'll blame them if they don't know what happened. Why? Because it's a supervision issue and they're in charge. (laughs) So the same logic applies when your kids are in your care. If they're watching something they're not supposed to be watching, yeah, it's the kid's fault, but it's a supervision issue. So I, so it's like that. That's why I never really bought. Like again, this article, you know, again, I'm not surprised by the results, right? No link with video games and aggression because I've never really bought the argument that you know kids are going to play GTA and then go run over 300 people and you know bring a gun to school, right? Because you have kids who are watching that and they know it's entertainment i always thought it came down to kind of number one it's gonna it's gonna come down to like how these things are processed and interpreted by the child right um the environment in the home parental interactions you know um the, the child's background all of those things right um 
I've always thought it was a weak argument with no teeth, right? Because the same people making those arguments are watching war movies, mm. Saving Private Ryan, or they love gangster movies. You, you know, but we're not worried about them and they don't think it impacts them. So it's one of those like, look over here arguments. It's like saying rap music is responsible for all the crime. It just doesn't match up. You know what I mean? Um, so I've never really bought that argument. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and again, when we look at this study in particular, um, I had a few issues with the study. I'm not even going to lie. Like not, well, not even issues, but, but that's why it's important for all of us to look at the studies, right? Because if we look at this sample, this was an adult sample, 18 to 45. Right. These are grown-ups. Would you expect, I mean, these are grown grown-ups, right? Um, now, I again, I think this kind of study would be more useful kind of with a younger, more skewed towards more of a younger base, right? Because the people within this sample vary from 18 to 45. That means that there are people in the sample that could have started in the sample when they were 35. At 35 years old, we don't we don't expect a video video game to in, impact you. So um, we're dealing with a sample, you know. Again, we don't even if even if they were just saying, okay, we're going to use a sample that's just 18 to 26 emerging adulthood. You know, I will be a little bit more. I'll be like, all right, that's data that we can get a little bit more from. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because the sample had that wide of a range, it's like you don't know if somebody was, was in there from eight to eighteen, or whether they were in there from twenty-seven to thirty-seven. That's you're going, but all the data is in there together. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, again, you know, it's you know how it is. It's science and it's studies, but that's why you know we gotta kind of you know look beneath the surface, and you know, me and you are kind of here to do that with certain things. When I was thinking as far as like supervision, like for me, I was looking at it. All right. Well, if you're not able to do the supervision um, on the front end, like you said, if they're talking on the chat room, Snapchat, whatever the situation is, at least there should be some red flags just as just speaking as a parent. Right. I'm speaking. I can speak for myself. Right. I'm thinking like, all right, what are some of those red flags you should be looking for? Right. When you like say your kid, unfortunately, does start to participate in this type of behavior or, or in this smuggling or whatever, um, to some extent or what have you. Right. There should be some red flags that you should be seeing. Right. Like one, if you see your kid with a phone that you didn't buy. Right. Right. If you see a, a totally different. <laughs> right. If you see a phone that you, that you didn't buy. Right. Or it should be a situation like. If you're seeing all of a sudden your kid is buying stuff, right? Or you're seeing like, yo, they're 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 buying either new electronics, right? Because you're getting two thousand dollars per per trip, right? They're doing something with that money. You would like to think that a lot of kids are responsible with stuff, but most kids are not, right? You remember being 16, 17. <laughs> you know full well, right? Like, I mean, for me, I'm going out and buying Jordans, I'm buying all kinds of stuff, right? Now, as a parent, you should be sitting there like, yo, hold up, where are you getting this stuff from? Right. Like, you know, we're, we're the jewelry, right? It's something, right? You're buying, you're not just sitting there stacking that money. You know, even if you're stacking the money for a car, you're like, yo, where, where did you get that money from? So that's that's the supervision and, and the awareness aspect that I was thinking. Like, if, you're, if your kid is, is engaging in this activity, 
there, there are signs, right? There's going to be some flags or something that's popping up that something doesn't smell right. So, and that's definitely absolutely where the person, the parent needs to step in and be like, all right, what's going on? X, Y, and Z, so on and so forth, right? If they got like three, three of the new PlayStations, there's an issue, right? That's what I'm saying. There are different red flags for, you know, parents and I think caretakers for people to be on the lookout in case your kid starts to kind of engage in not only this, but just other types of, you know, related behavior. That's what I'm saying. As far as the super, I mean, it also comes down to philosophy, bro. Because I'm not the type of person that believes that children should have complete privacy. It's just not. I just don't believe that, bro. Like I said, being a parent is a big responsibility. Like you're responsible, you know. Um, and remember, I, I say complete privacy. You understand? So I'm not talking about bathroom. I'm not talking about any of those things. But listen. Children, especially in the age of social media, right? If, if, if I hand over an electronic device to a child, it's mine. It's mine, right? The, right. the, the parents I know that, are, that, are, that have, have, as much as you know, um, that, that, are try- that are instilling in terms of that structure, there's no such thing as their kid having a phone and sending text messages that they haven't seen or, or they can't access at a moment's notice. Absolutely. As long as they're paying the bill, right? And there's the differences. You know, their parents that are walking in the room and you can be on the headset, but it's like, well, who are you talking to, right? And if you don't respond appropriately and quickly, then what you think that parent is doing? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so... <laughs> I'm not saying be everywhere at every time, but you you know, children are not adults. So a kid should not be sitting in his room like like a college student with the internet and phones and tablets and just access because they they don't have they're not responsible enough, you know. So here's that's just how thing. I feel about it. It's a personal thing. Here, here's, here's another thing. How are you how don't you know if your kid's going back and forth to Mexico or not? Right, like I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, if this this is a person that was in the article lives on the border or not, but like Mexico is not exactly around the corner. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like you're just you're gone for like hours or maybe days at a time. There's no sleepover that you're telling me you're going to like. Oh, I'm going to, to Samantha's house right for a little bit, and I don't see you for a couple days. All, like no, that's not that you know what I mean. So that's that's the supervision part that I'm talking about. Like you're talking about smuggling, <laughs> like you're disappearing for that You got you got you know what I mean. You're getting pulled over to Arizona. Like Listen, you can't control that. That's why I said, and I wanted to be clear. That's why I said, if your kid goes out the window and he's in the middle, he's out in the, in the middle of the night. It's not your fault because you can't just be up. You know what I mean? But you're responsible. It doesn't change the fact that you're responsible. If he goes and, and, and breaks a, a car window, the police is going is to say, sir, you got to pay this bill because yeah, you're somebody. responsible. Yeah, yeah, listen. You know, but yeah, no. <laughs> if your kid is taking your car and going to Mexico and you didn't realize that they were gone, then you might have other problems. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. All right, Jay. So, you into uh, that this, this cryptocurrency that's that's, that's uh, uh, taking the nation 
in our financial yes. world by storm? Yes, I am, man. I, I, I lost half my money like everybody else on, with, with Bitcoin last week. There you go. See, there you go. See, this guy, you guys listening to this, this financial mastermind. This is, you know, no, man, not a mastermind. <laughs> if I was a mastermind, I would have made money last week. <laughs> All right. So speaking of making money, while others are making money with cryptocurrency, Mental Token, uh, which is a company by Phil Company, uh, by Phil Kennedy, I'm sorry, is using cryptocurrency to bring awareness and support to mental health issues around the world. All right, so Mental Token uh, is working, working towards building a charity wallet to give donations to mental health organizations around the globe. All right, let me pull this uh, this quote up really quick. All right, because when I saw this, when you when you sent this to me, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is pretty cool. Apologize for my being disorganized. Yeah, man, just um. You know, I thought this was just interesting, just, you know, mental token. Of course, um, obviously, we're not promoting this in any way, um, just kind of raising awareness. Um, and there are many different types of, like, mental health charity tokens. Um, but again, you know, similar to, like, other cryptocurrency, limited quantity, they do fluctuate in value. Um, and they only exist electronically. Um, but, you know, I thought it was very interesting because, again, it's just another way you know, that people are being innovative and using technology to kind of help charities raise money. Um, and, you know, this this uh, token was specifically designed, you know, for contributions um, to specific charities and kind of just to have a new way to do that. So um, I just thought it was, you know, an interesting thing to raise awareness, you know. Yeah, I'm uh, finally got myself together. Yeah, he says, uh, we are fighting and pushing to bring awareness to our project and to people who are struggling with their mental health every day. Mental health issues are often overlooked, and now, amid the pandemic, it's the best time to continue spreading this message and assist in getting people the help they need. Um, yeah, I like this. You know, again, this is the next big thing. You know, um, I like the parameters and the, and the manner in which they're how they're using it, because it's like um, three percent of every transaction goes to uh, a mental health charity on a monthly basis. So there are different mental health charities per month, um, you know, and I'm, I'm with anything that go towards um, assisting organizations that specialize in research or with assisting people that suffer from. For mental illness, you know, um, they're putting it in, in the appropriate hands. And this is pretty cool that like you can buy NFTs or the, uh, the meta, meta pets. Um, they have like 35,000 holders um, like it's trending. So I'm totally on board with this. I like, you know, the manner in that a lot of different organizations are going forward with like new and innovative ways of how to support, you know, mental health. You know, whether it be through the agencies, whether it be now through cryptocurrency. Um, yeah, I'm I'm all the way with this. So just yeah, sign me up. I, I like this is pretty cool. Like I'm not, a, uh, you know, advertising it. This is not an endorsement by uh, the Black Psychologist podcast. And in case they're listening, you know, we're we're opening. Uh, we're open, you know, but, you know, this is this is a good situation. You know, I'm, I'm with this. I mean, listen, uh, people like cryptocurrency. Uh, well, there's a lot of interesting crypto. You know, whether or not people are skeptical of it, um, I think we can all agree that it will have a role in the future. Um, mm -hmm. And again, you know, for, for a lot of individuals, it, you know, it could be a 
way for them to send, you know, larger amounts of money where you have reduced, you know, kind of transaction costs, um, reduced fees. A lot of complaints people have had in the past when it comes to like supporting charities is lack of transparency. Um, so in terms of kind of knowing where your money is going, um, and then again, reach, right? Um, the reach is global when you start talking about tokens and cryptocurrency and stuff like that. Um, and if, when you, if you can do all of that and donate, you know, to kind of charities while you're doing it um, and raise, you know, awareness for mental health, I, you know, I say, why not, you know? But just to say, um, I just wanted to make sure I said that mental token isn't the only one. I couldn't write down all of them, but, you know, there's more than a few um, uh, charity tokens that are out there now. This one, I guess, just, I don't know if it just launched, but. This is why they were, I guess, doing a few articles on, on this one. But there's a few out there that, you know, you can kind of look into, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, definitely a um, some worthy causes. So I, I'm, I'm liking this trend. So this is cool. And the one thing I just want to say, though, is that, you know, obviously with anything, when you start talking about finance, like people should be informed before they kind of go into anything or definitely before they make a purchase. Um, and you should be informed about the purpose of these tokens. This is not Bitcoin. This is not Ethereum. The primary use of this is donating to charities. Okay. Um, so again, you know, we're just kind of bringing it up because obviously it has something to do with mental health. Um, and crypto is, you know, obviously a hot topic right now. So do some research on your own um, if you plan to, you know, make that type of investment. Very important disclaimer, my friend. All right, Jay. Um, anything before we get out of here for the week? Um, listen, man, um, obviously, you know, we just, um, we're happy to be back doing this with you, you know, but Dr. Kyle, you know, he needs his vacation. Um, so, you know, he took a little bit of a world tour, but we forgive him. Anybody on his Instagram page knows he didn't, he was riding ATV, so he didn't really care about us, but on a like at 12 o'clock all day <laughs> on a serious note, um, just want to thank anybody who took the time to listen. We, I'm, I'm extremely humbled and just thankful. Um, so please share the videos, take the time to subscribe. We really appreciate it. And make sure you prioritize your mental health till next time. Absolutely. Um, I echo everything that Dr. J just mentioned. mentioned. Love and support has been uh, beyond humbling. We're beyond grateful for that. Yes, please, please continue to share, continue, continue to, you know, spread the word. We're loving the feedback. We're loving the ideas. We're loving um, all the just different, you know, positive reception that we've been getting from everybody. So uh, we're going to continue to pump out the content. Uh, appreciate everybody watching and listening. Like you said, uh, wishing everybody a good mental health and our, our thoughts and prayers are with, you know, the families and the loved ones of, of um you know, Regina King's family um, and the mayor's family and Miss um, Christ, Christ, her family. family. Um, you know, a lot of people are dealing with a lot of different, uh, a lot of tough issues and, and a lot of, and are struggling. So absolutely, please be kind to one another. Uh, be open, be there, share. Um, and, you know, like I said, uh, wishing everybody good mental health. Jay, uh, until next week, my friend, we'll do it again. All right, my brother. Later. All right.